everyone. It is your host, Zoe here. Welcome to this episode of the Motherkind Podcast. This is the show that is going to give you all the tools, all the ideas, and all the validation that you need to help us navigate the massive challenges that we face as modern mothers. Thank you for being here. Thank you for pushing that little play button. I never take it for granted that so many of you show up week in, week out, and I really, really appreciate you. We have such a good episode for you today. Jess Vanderveer is the founder of Nurtured First, formerly our Mama Village, which you might know from her Instagram. So Jess is a registered psychotherapist and a mum of three. And in this episode, she shares with us how hard she found it going from two to three children. But this episode is really about how to cope when you're not coping. And I know that all of us will have had moments when we are not coping. And that is the gift that this episode gives you. Jess shares so many ideas from her personal life and her professional life about what to do when we just feel overwhelmed, like we are swimming in that place where it's too much. I love Jess. She is in incredibly qualified and also incredibly real. And I think that is a very rare combination. I think you're going to love this one. And if you do, please do send it to anyone who is going through that transition in your life right now, maybe from one to two children or two to three, or maybe even three to four. If we can help just one mother feel less alone, feel more normal and validated in her experience, then together we would have done our job. So please do share it. And here it is. Just a quick ask from me before we dive into this week's episode. You might not know this, but we are a really small team behind the scenes at Motherkind, but we have a massive ambition to support millions of mothers to feel more confident, happy and empowered. And even though we've got this incredible back catalogue of over 300 episodes, I really do feel like we are just getting started. And often you lovely listeners will ask me how you can support the podcast and help us reach more mums. So I've thought of a really easy way that you can do that because from today you can subscribe to the podcast if you listen on Apple Podcasts, which over 70% of you do. So for just $3.99 a month, you can support our Motherkind mission and you get all the podcasts ad-free going forward. It's really easy. All you need to do is just go to your Apple Podcasts app, find Motherkind, find the section at the top where it says support the podcast and enjoy ad-free episodes. Click on that. You'll then have a seven-day ad-free trial where you can hear what it feels like to listen to the podcast with no ads whatsoever. And then you move on to pay $3.99 a month. And every single penny of that money will go towards empowering more mothers with this incredible guests, ideas, and tools that we share week after week on the show. Thank you so much for your support. I really appreciate it. Whether you subscribe or not, I am incredibly grateful that you are here and thank you for being part of the Motherkind mission. Okay, on to this week's episode. Jess, welcome back to the podcast. We were just saying the last episode we did together, how many beautiful messages we got about it. And my audience just loved you and they loved your compassion and your wisdom and of course your knowledge. So I'm really excited for chapter two of our chatting together. I agree, Zoe. I had so many messages. I think it was probably a year and a half ago that we did that podcast together and I still get messages about it pretty often. And it was just such a special podcast and a special time in my life. And I'm so glad that we were able to have that one together. Yeah, me too. Now, at the end of that first podcast, when we stopped recording, you secretly told me that you were expecting your third. Yes. So I'm really excited to hear about that massive change and what's that been like for you? You know, the newborn phase again, going from a mother of two to three. What has it been like? That's such a big question for such a huge change, but I think it's been so many different emotions. So I'll kind of bring it back to my pregnancy, if that is okay with you. 
So when I announced to you that I was pregnant, I hadn't shared it with anyone yet. And I remember when I was doing the podcast with you, I think I was still in kind of the depths of the morning sickness. So with my, with my third baby, and I think it makes sense, like you've already had two kids and now you're having your third and there's just a lot going on. So I was definitely the most sick with her, which was challenging. So I would say her pregnancy was quite challenging just in the fact that I was sick, trying to run what was our mama village at the time and also take care of my other two kids. But I also had this peace in that pregnancy that I didn't have with the other two kids. So as I moved towards the birthing experience, I did things that I didn't do with the other two girls, which was like a lot of mindfulness activities, just every night before bed, trying to do all these things, lay there and talk to the baby and do mindfulness. And I feel like I approached the birth in such a better place than I did with the other two kids, which was just a really special thing to be able to do after two difficult births. And her birth was really nice. I was in a hospital, but I had brought all of these like things from home, like these little mantras and these little LED lights. And I had this whole birth experience that was really quite beautiful. So a lot of that journey was quite healing for me after two really difficult pregnancies. So that was super special. And I like to share that too, because though it was hard, there was the special times, which is really I think important to hear as well as a parent because you often only hear about the hard. What enabled you, do you think? Because a lot of people might think the experience would be the opposite, that you would have more time to do that sort of thing with the first and less time, you know, you've already got two other children. What was it? Was it a shift in mindset? Was it a shift in your knowledge? Was it a really strong intention to have a more mindful birth? What was it, do you think, that enabled you to access that? I think the biggest part was my second daughter was born in COVID in the pandemic. And she was born, I know you have a three-year-old too. So she was born the week that the world kind of shut down. So she was born the week that the hospitals were saying, you know, you might not be able to bring your partner in. And everyone was so full of fear. So when I went into my second birth, I was very much full of fear. And it was very much a traumatic experience for me because I didn't know what was happening in the world around me. The world around me felt so chaotic. My parents were very sick with COVID at the time when I had her and we didn't know what that meant. And I had to have her early because of a movement issue where she wasn't moving enough. So just everything in that birth was very stressful and very high intensity. And I didn't have an epidural and and that was fine, but it was also very intense of a birth and happened very quickly. So all of those factors made that birth to be a really traumatic experience for me. Moving into my third birth, I knew that if I was going to have another baby, I wanted things to be different. And I didn't want to feel that same sense of being out of control that I felt with my second daughter, because I felt very out of control. Everything felt so out of control at that birth. So moving into that, I knew I wanted to do things different. And thankfully, I had a friend who was pregnant at the exact same time. One of my closest friends, her son now is two weeks older than my daughter which is just fun and incredible. But she was really into hypnobirthing. She really wanted to have a home birth. And so now being good friends with her and just hearing about, oh, I'm doing this hypnobirthing. What What do you mean hypnobirthing? Like, what are you talking about? And so she really kind of introduced me to that. And as a therapist, I'm like, oh, it's a lot of mindfulness, which I love. And it's a lot of these things I already like. So It was the mixture of my friend being in it and being like, Jess, I really think knowing you, knowing your experience, you would love this. And then knowing that I had that traumatic birth, that really helped me know I wanted to do things different the next time. Oh my gosh, I love that. I was completely into my hypnobirthing and I did have a home birth both times actually. And you know what's amazing is me having gone through that experience, so many of my friends now had completely different experiences with their second because I was like, look at this. And if I did it, you can do it. And, you know, here's this and this meditation and this. And I feel like it's so nice to be able to have a positive birth experience and then to inspire others with that. I don't think it's ever about pushing stuff on people, is it? But just inspiring and giving that information and that knowledge, particularly hypnobirthing is so misunderstood. People are like, what? You're going to get hypnotized. It's like, no, it's basically fear release. I see it. It's like a fear release program. So I'm so happy that you had that. I did. And now I'm that friend. Like my sister-in-law is about to have a baby. And I'm like, have you taken the hypnobirthing stuff yet? Like, let me help you. Find it really hard. 
So my sister-in-law was like, not really into it. And I tried a bit, but then I was like, okay, that's not my business. I need to then. I find it quite hard to, because you just know the power of it, don't you? Yeah. And it was actually incredible. So Scott, my husband, like he knows my first birth was also traumatic. And I also had a lot of really difficult experiences there. So just like leading up to it, he's like, oh my goodness, here we go again, you know? But he could not believe it. Like the entire time I was in the hospital was just like, he's like, you were so Zen. Like you were so like within your own body and like you understood what was going on and you seemed so in control. And even for an outside perspective, he was like, it was just totally different for you. I could see that, which is just so cool. That was my experience as well, actually. Both times was just embodied. Like I just felt trust. I had it and I was empowered and I don't think it's about where you give birth or even how it happens I think it's just that sense like you said before I felt out of control I think that is what feels really scary we know that feeds into don't we to post-traumatic birth and you know PTSD is that feeling of being completely out of control and no one telling you what's happening or what's going to happen it's really scary Exactly. So yeah. And I know I've supported a lot of women through the birth trauma too. And that is the biggest thing is if you don't know what's happening and you feel out of control, then it's going to be a traumatic experience for you. So yeah, that was just my experience. And I know not everyone has that positive experience with that, but that was kind of what led us into having the third baby. So kind of from where we talked to having the baby And then we had her and she was just like this most special bundle. It was amazing as well. Like I think because the birth experience was positive, I was able to feel really close with her right away and kind of have a really nice bonding experience. And the first couple of days, my parents took the other kids, which was excellent. So I feel like we had a couple of days of just this bliss. Like life is so beautiful. She was just like this perfect little newborn. We had all the snuggles. And then the big kids came home and (laughs) life started to settle into what would be our new routine. And I haven't shared about this too much on my page yet because it's always been kind of fresh. But I would say that those first few months after having her were probably some of our most difficult months that we've had ever in parenting, period. We started really well, but I think what was really challenging for us is... We had the two older kids who were great. My middle child, who was two, like just, just turned two at the time. She was quite young and she's very highly sensitive. She feels things very deeply. And so this changed this transition for her. And she was our baby. Like we saw her as like our little baby until the baby was born. And then it was hard to juggle. Now I have two babies, which it really felt like. So that was one piece of the transition that was tough. And my two-year-old wasn't really sleeping well at the time. So many nights I had, like, she was up a whole bunch of times. The baby was up a whole bunch of times. And then the preschooler sometimes was up a bunch because she was also trying to adjust to everything else going on. So there was basically no sleep that was had. And then on top of that, for Scott and I, Scott helps me run our mama village or what now is nurtured first. And we had our third baby a little bit early. So we weren't quite prepared for me to take a mat leave yet. He was trying to help out with running the business. While at the same time, I'm trying to have a couple of kids at home and just the whirlwind of everything that was going on definitely felt extremely overwhelming and was really hard on us as parents to be our children's like rock and to be their safe place when both of us were kind of at the end of our capacities as people And then it was just hard in general for Scott and I to be on the same page when there was just so many things going on and we felt like we were being pulled in every direction. Just hearing you share that vulnerability and that honesty is going to help so many people because I think people look at experts like you and others and think, no, they've got it completely nailed and there's something wrong with me that I'm struggling. So I just really want to thank you for that vulnerability because I cannot tell you how powerful that is to hear that, you know, you too reach the end of your capacity, you too struggle in your relationship, you too find it really hard sometimes, even though you've got all these tools. And I think it's so easy for us as parents to feel like we're failing for finding it hard. And sometimes it is just hard, isn't it? Yeah. There were so many moments when Scott and I were in the thick of it like that. We just look at each other and be like, this is just hard. Like this just feels hard and it is hard. 
I think the hardest part for us in many of those moments was like, when is it going to get easier? And they know a lot of families feel that way too, right? A lot of families I talk to feel that way, where it's like, you're in the hard and it's really hard to see at what point does this not feel so all-consuming, so overwhelming? At what point will my relationship get back on track again? At what point will my kids not be waking up a million times in the night? And I think the mixture of all of that is what can lead us to feeling really depressed or anxious or down, which I really felt like that during that time. Like I did not feel like myself. And that was tricky for me too, because I felt like I had really tried and really prepared myself to not have that experience again. There's that dance, isn't there, between resisting it, like, why is it like this? It shouldn't be like this, versus the acceptance, like, okay, it's like this. How did you get to that acceptance place? We're in a much different space right now. Like, things are great right now. But I think in that summer of last year, when we were in that transition, I think what really did help was being like, I know I'm not the only one to have gone through this. And it was really helpful for me to hear the stories of other parents who were like, yes, transitioning to my third child wasn't what I expected either or my second or and it was really helpful to get those stories from people too, to be like, it's not always going to be like this. And I shared a story just actually on my Instagram page the other day that just came to me the hardest week of the entire like all of it, all of the hard times was the Father's Day weekend of last year. And it just happened to be that Scott had to be somewhere, like he had to go away for a couple of days. This was like pre-planned way before we even had the baby, like two years planned. So he had to be away. That was fine. I was okay with that. And then I was home with the kids. And on that weekend, our TV broke, which feels like feels like that shouldn't be that big a deal. But when you're just barely keeping your head above the water with three babies at home, the TV breaking was like the last straw for me. I was like, no. So the TV stopped working. Work was just really chaotic. There's just a lot of things going on. My toddler and the newborn both didn't sleep when Scott was away. And I just remember like having this breaking point and being like, I can't do this. And feeling like I was just like, crying and yelling and it just what didn't feel like myself at all. And then I had also volunteered myself. I said, yeah, my family was going camping that weekend really close. So I said, we'll go and hopefully some of my family can help me out. So then I was asked, hey, can you bring Oma? So that's Oma is my dad's mom. And so, okay, yeah, sure. I'll bring Oma to family camping. So I pick her up and I'm driving the car with her and I just I'm crying. Like, oh my, like, how did you do this? Like, this is so much. And she had six kids. So I'm like, you've got to know something. Like, how did you do this? And she just goes, "Ah, it won't always be this hard. And she's like, in the moments that were really hard for me, I always remembered it won't always be this hard. And I know it's really hard for you right now, Jess, but it's not always going to be this hard. Like there is hope, like it will get better. And she made light, like she was very funny. So she kind of laughed at a few of the things and and we joked back and forth. And she's like, you're going to be okay. It's not always going to be this hard. And just coming from her was so helpful for me. And I remember just repeating that to myself as we kind of got through that chapter. And then we started slowly, I think after that weekend, realizing, okay, we need to put some things in place to make life easier. What can we take off of our plates? Like we have way too much going on on our plates right now how can we get some help? Is there a way that we can get some help in the house, like a house cleaner, just like these little things, right? That takes things off of our plate, more reliable childcare. We didn't have any reliable childcare at the time. So trying to do it all, run a business and have three kids and a newborn, like just way too much. (laughs) I'm sure you can relate to that. So we got our childcare in place. Like we got all these things. I took a week of just like not being on my phone working at all. And slowly things started to piece back together. And we worked on my toddler's sleep. She started sleeping through the night again. I have a toddler sleep course. We just weren't using it. So I used my own material, got her to sleep better through the night. I was like, oh, great. Like I actually have all of this tools within myself. I just need to use them. And so really started using my own tools. And we did get better. We did get to the other side. But those are some of the things that helped. I mean, I can hear boundaries and you know me and my work, I'm like completely obsessed with the idea of boundaries. Like when stuff gets hard, you need to put those boundaries in place. Do you know what I hear quite a lot is 
when you're in the trenches and that was such a beautiful story that you told because I think so many people just know that feeling of like I can't do this I know I've been there sometimes it's really hard in that headspace to grab a tool like boundaries isn't it because it feels like you know you get a moment to yourself and you just want to numb out you might just want to put the tv on or whatever the last thing you want to do is maybe list out everything that you can do how did you find that last push of energy resource to actually get the tools in place to make it better to get out of that spiral I think a big part for me was I also saw my husband struggling I don't think I saw that in him when we had the first two kids because he was working a fully separate job and Like our lives were very different when we had the older two kids. Like he was traveling a lot with them. Like he wasn't quite as involved in the day to day. And I hear this from a lot of people when they transition to three. It wasn't like he could take one kid and I take the other kid. Like he had two older kids and I had the baby who needed me for everything. So it was a really difficult transition for him too, because he had so much on this plate. And I think me seeing him struggling and me seeing him be like, this is too much for me to handle, like two older kids, the one waking up all the time, plus trying to run the business without me while I I have a baby at home. So I think that really pushed me to be like, I don't also want to see him struggle and I don't want to struggle like this. So we need to make some changes. And I think for me, that was like kind of that final push of energy to know that for our family, like we needed to make some changes because we wanted to all thrive, not all feel like this. It's so true, isn't it? And I think it is so easy to get stuck in that place of just doing the same thing. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And I think it's so easy to get there when you're just on that treadmill. So I love you sharing what it was that you did to make that break. And sometimes it can be a really small intervention, can't it, that can just give you that glimpse that will change the trajectory I wanted to ask you about curveballs because (laughs) you and I, when we were trying to set up this podcast, had a massive curveball. And I know that so many mothers that I speak to say, I'm fine, I'm on top of everything, but I can't handle a curveball like a sick child or my boss suddenly leaving and me having to take on double the work or a house move or the it's almost like we can keep it spinning but then something comes in and you had a curveball where your little one got really ill tell us about that if you are open to talking about it I know you shared about it publicly I think what you're talking about is so cool. It's like we talk about that as therapists like the window of tolerance right it's like what's within that window that I can handle and like if things are going well elsewhere in my life, I can tolerate a little bit of distress or I can tolerate things. But like when everything in my life is not going well, it's that last thing, even if it's minor, that can just send us over the edge. So to back up just a little bit, we kind of got out of this like season of like intensity and like really, really hard. I would say a couple months after she was born, we started flowing again. Things started feeling a lot better. We ended up going on a vacation as a family took off, like didn't work at all, just spent time with the family. And that was like the reset we all needed. And I felt like we got back from that vacation. And since then, like we've just felt much more on the same page, which is incredible. And then this April, so now we're fast forwarding to this April, my daughter's almost a year at this point, we start getting like hit with illness after illness. And the situation you're talking about when we had to cancel our interview, she had got croup. And so now I was working, she had some childcare at the house and I got back and the person who's taking care of her is like, she's not well. And I learned that about croup is that apparently it hits really quick. So I took her to the hospital and yeah, we ended up having to stay overnight with the croup. And then I got back from the hospital with her and immediately saw my older daughter also having the same thing. So I spent two days in the hospital, came back, saw my other daughter, went straight back to the hospital spent the night there with her and then she started feeling better. So I came home with her and then we had a couple days of feeling fine. And then I felt as though I was in a really good headspace for the first two. Like I handled it really, really well. And I think that's because everything else in my life was feeling manageable. I was feeling like I had support. I was feeling okay. So though it was really, really hard, I feel like as a mom, I handled it well and I was there for them. And then we had that week of being in the hospital, got home. And then a couple days later, my daughter got the flu. So my 11 month old. 
And she got the flu. She was coughing a lot. She wouldn't eat or drink. So I had to take her back to the hospital again. Now I'm outside of my window of tolerance. I don't have the ability to cope with this anymore. So that was the hardest overnight stay. And we ended up being admitted again overnight. She had to be on IV again a second time. And that was really difficult as a mom to watch that happen again. And I feel so privileged that my kids have been mostly well outside of like the colds and stuff that all the kids are getting. It made my heart break for all these parents who do have to be in the hospital so many times like that. And it's really hard to see your baby have to go through these things or get an IV put in and they're trying a couple times and it won't go in. And, and all of those things as a mom, it's just like so heartbreaking. And it was really interesting because I shared about it on my Instagram stories while I was doing it. And so many parents were just saying that they've been there and like how hard it is. And I feel like it's not something we really talk about. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we don't talk about it enough. And those curveballs can be, you know, that window of tolerance can be so many different things, can't it? I think particularly for our generation of mothers, we've got older parents as well. You know, we're dealing with their illnesses, stresses there, you know, death, grief. It's just so hard. When you're hit with something that's outside your window of tolerance, I love that phrase. How do you cope with that, both personally and what would your professional advice be? I think for me, I like to first just name it. Like I will say that to my husband, whether that's like a big thing that knocks me out of the window, like a hospital visit, or it's a little thing like this last weekend was so busy and we had just so many things going on. And I felt like I didn't get a minute to myself to just like think all weekend. And then he was asking me a question and I was saying, I'm going to go take a shower. And this is what knocked me out of my window of tolerance. I was like, I'm going to go take a shower. And this was after the kids are in bed. He's like, well, why don't you stay and watch a show with me? And I was just like noticed in my body. I'm like, I can't stay and watch a show with you. Like I need to have some alone time and take care of myself. But I didn't say that. I was able to kind of be like, okay, Scott, like I'm just really noticing that it's been a full weekend. It's been really busy. And I just noticing in my own self that I just need to take an hour just to be by myself, take a shower and just take care of myself. Because I'm noticing that I'm starting to feel a little bit grumpy, a little bit outside of my window. And now we have that language for each other. And so he'll be able to say, oh, okay, like, I understand what you're saying. That makes sense to me. And he was able to communicate, like, I have this need right now that I just want to like hang out with you because I feel like I haven't hung out with you all weekend. And so for us to have that conversation, be like, his need is valid. Like he wants to hang out with his wife. Like that's a great thing that he wants to do. And he wants to sit and watch a TV show with me. And my need is valid that I just am feeling really overstimulated. feel like I've been touched all weekend. So how can we kind of find this middle ground? So we decided like I was going to go take a shower, take some time for myself. And then I'd come back downstairs and we'd finish off the night watching our show together. I think for me being able to name it and see it in myself and know that usually it just means I need a break. I need some time away. And I need to be able to communicate that to my partner instead of just feeling upset or grumpy or lashing out when they're asking for something from me that just feels like it's too much. I don't know if that answers your question. I think that's really helpful is naming it and asking for what you need. And what if it's one of those big things like the hospital visits? I mean, I imagine you're really just going into survival mode and doing what you need to do to survive, right? Yeah, something I found with the hospital visits or those other big things in life that have happened to us in the last year is going back to like, what are my basic needs? Because I can control that, right? Like, can I try and get as many of my basic needs met as possible? So for me going into the hospital the first time, because I was in three times in a week. So the first time I didn't bring any food. I didn't bring <laughs> like any, I don't know what I was thinking. It's just like, oh, we'll just go to the hospital and then we'll come home. And then we were there for two days and I had nothing. (laughs) So thankfully someone brought me some food and stuff. So the second time I went in, I'm like, okay, the bare minimum that I can do for myself in this moment is bring myself some snacks, bring myself water, bring myself something I enjoy. I brought myself a little blanket. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to have to stay overnight. And last time I stayed overnight, I didn't really have anything to like sleep with. So I'm going to bring myself a blanket. And I just loaded the stroller full of these things that I knew would help me take care of myself and my daughter. And so I think in those like pure survival mode moments, just bringing it back to the basics and being like, sometimes if I can just take care of my core needs, then I can better take care of the situation around me. When I think about those core needs for like rest, 
hydration, food, ideally with a bit of nutrition in it. I think that stands just as much for a lot of mums, you know, me included, outside of those crisis moments as well. Because it's so easy when you're, you know, particularly with little ones that, you know, we both have where you are needed if they are with you, you are needed constantly. You know, I know I've got to the end of the day and gone, oh my God, I've not drunk any water today. No wonder I feel really anxious. Like my body is on high alert because it thinks we're going into like starvation panic mode because I've not given it any water. It's so easy to forget those basics, isn't it? It is. You know, it's interesting to me. So the first course that I've ever created when running Our Mama Village, Now Nurtured First, was six years ago, maybe five and a half years ago. And it was called Calming Anxiety and Motherhood. And one of the quotes in that course is, mom, you can't live on coffee and crumbs alone. And I still think about that in my own life, like every day, because I think you're right. As moms, we sometimes just in the hustle of day-to-day life, forget to take care of those basic needs. And I'll find myself like, I'll drink my coffee. Like I'll have a few coffees or I'll just like pick up the crumbs from the kids and I'll have like a little piece of whatever they were eating. And then you get to the end of the day and you're like, why am I so anxious? Why am I so tired? Why am I yelling more than I should be? Or why am I overthinking this thing that happened? And often like we just haven't even taken care of our own basic needs and taken a minute to just be like, I'm just going to sit down and like eat my meal. So that's definitely something that I've always kept in mind over the last six years. And when I am having those really hard days, I'll tune back in with that. And typically, yeah, I forgot to eat or I forgot, <laughs> forgot to have water. It's interesting because, I, I, you know, I run lots of workshops and corporate workshops for mums and I've got one around well-being. And when I explain to people the link between dehydration and anxiety, it blows their minds. And it blew my mind when I first learned it. I was like, oh, okay, they're linked. And the same with food, like same with food, like serotonin is 90% made in the gut, which is the happy hormone, right? So it's like if we spend a couple of years in those toddler years surviving on toast and raisins and breadsticks, which, you know, God, sometimes we just have to, that does have an impact on our mood, doesn't it? And how we feel. Absolutely. It has a huge impact on mood. I think it can become this thing that now we haven't eaten enough or we haven't had enough water and now we're feeling grumpy with our kids. So then we start to be grumpy, irritated by them, yell at them more. And then our kids in turn are like, oh my goodness, there's this, not what they're saying, this is what's going on. Is there this disrupt between my relationship with my parent and me And now I'm feeling uneasy because I can't trust in their leadership because they keep getting grumpy with me. So then in turn, I'm going to do what I can do to stay close with them. And that's probably like hitting or yelling at them or having a big tantrum because I know that for sure they have to respond to me then. And then we get more upset and then it can really build and build and build. And I know that that's what was happening with me in those early days too. It's like I wasn't taking care of myself because I didn't feel like I could And then that was coming out in the way that I was parenting, which wasn't feeling good, which was leading me to feel shame and just not good about how I was parenting, which was leading to a disrupt. And it could just really build on itself like that. I mean, it sounds simple, just drink enough water, but those basics really are so important. They really, really, really are. And sometimes that's all we can do. That is so interesting what you were just saying about, but I know that we talked about this last time because, you know, this is your absolute expertise is in child behavior. But I think we can't really hear it enough, can we, that it really does start with us and our ability to regulate and be that sturdy leader. Like, I just don't think we can hear that message enough, particularly as I think for our generation, we've been sold a very different message for a long time, which is like, it's about the child. It's about the behavior. You need to do the naughty step and the you know, you need to sort out the behavior. You know, we know so much more now. Every time I hear that, I just need it constantly, constantly reinforced to me. I agree. I think for me as a parent, it's just always helpful to come back to that. Like if my kids are struggling, we're having a hard week, there's a lot going on. I'm like, okay, let's take it back. What's going on with me before I even worry about okay, are we going down? Like what's going on with these kids? No, it's like, what's going on with me? Like, am I responding in the way that I truly at my core want to be responding to my kids? And if not, why? And that even goes back to like what I was saying to you about this weekend when Scott asked me to sit and watch TV with him. And I'm like, no, I need to go take a shower just because I know I need this. 
I think when we can start to build that level of awareness and be like, okay, when I notice these signs in myself, it's telling me to tune in. And it's telling me that I am having a hard time being the leader my kids need me to be because I'm dysregulated. I'm tired. I haven't had time for myself. I'm overstimulated. And when we can speak what we need to whoever it is in our life, like, so for this weekend, it was me to Scott and be like, Scott, like I need 30 minutes to an hour to just take a shower and be alone. Like, this is what's really going to help me regulate myself. That directly impacts the way that we parent our kids. And I think parents need that message too, to know that taking care of you is taking care of your kids. And I always think that like when I'm talking about parenting courses or parenting tips, parents are always like, yes, the parenting tip. Like I can do that with my kids. And we're much more willing to want to spend money or like do something that's for our kids than for ourselves. But really taking care of ourselves is equally, if not more important, because that flows out to the way that we take care of our kids. And I've really learned this from you and other incredible experts I've had on is that a lot of parenting is modeling that. And we can't be saying one thing and then doing another that's confusing so I I love it that you know you're so clear that it is not selfish to look after your needs as a parent in fact it's one of the least selfish things you can do if someone finds themselves yelling a lot you know I know that sort of place where you're just like will you just get your shoes on you know that that yelling because it is frustrating when you've asked like 10 times for some shoes to go on And I know that you and I are quite aligned in our philosophies. So I won't do things like naughty step. I won't do go to your room. I won't do the takeaway dessert or anything like that. But sometimes I can still find it really challenging because it's like in that moment, I do just need them to put their their shoes on. How do you handle that in your house, particularly with three, where I can imagine your attention is split? Yeah. My husband was saying that yesterday. He's like, man, there's just so much going on. It's like your attention split three ways plus the other person talking to you. So absolutely. So what you're asking is like, what would I say or do in the moment when I'm trying to get my three-year-old shoes on and there's other things going on? Something I find really helpful. This is not an in the moment thing, but an outside of the moment thing is trying to be super clear with what our expectations are before we kind of get into the hustle of the morning. Because I agree, I think like the morning trying to get your shoes on, that can be the hardest part of the day for sure, because we're all trying to get out the door and there's lots of things happening. So I'll try and like, as my kids are having breakfast, tell them the story of what's going to happen next. So first I'll kind of join their world and be like, okay, girls, I see that you're having your oatmeal. This is great. This is a good start to our morning. We'll maybe do a little morning check-in. Like, is there anything you're feeling unsure about for today or excited about? So we'll do a little check-in with them before they head off to school. And then I'll be like, okay, so we have, I think, two, three more minutes left of eating your oatmeal because they always love their oatmeal. And then after your oatmeal is done, we're going to go upstairs. We're going to brush our teeth. And then, hmm, I wonder what's next. And then my toddler will usually be like, oh, we put on our shoes. Yeah, you're right. So we're going to finish our oatmeal in the next couple minutes. Then we're going to go upstairs and brush our teeth. And then we're going to put on our shoes. And then, and then she'll be like, get my backpack. Okay, good. Then we're going to get your backpack. That sounds like a good plan. And then as we're moving to brushing the teeth, then I'll be talking about what's next in the plan. And so I find that trying to be as proactive as I can, especially for the morning hustle is super, super helpful. And then if I'm still doing all those things. And then in the moment, she's still not putting on her shoes. I might say, hey, remember our plan? It's shoes and then backpack. So do you want to put your shoes on or do you need mommy to do it for you? And I'll give her that choice, but it's a solid boundary. Like the shoes are going on. So it's either you're going to put them on or mommy's going to do it for you. But I find doing that prep work ahead of time where she knows that I'm going to hold that boundary and that boundary is going to happen really helps her and all the other kids that I support and work with be able to know that this is the expectation and my mom's going to hold me accountable to that expectation. And this same kind of framework for like setting the expectation, letting them know, getting them to tell you what comes next in the routine works great for mornings, for bedtime, for any of those times of day that can be really tough. I think that's really helpful. And I can see how actually doing that preparation every day repeatedly and knowing that the shoes have got to go on. Like there's probably less chance that you're going to be asking 10, 20 times. (laughs) Exactly. I think when kids know, okay, this is what is expected. This is what comes next. It's the same thing every morning. 
yeah, you're not going to get into that same, and you still might because there's still mornings when your child might still throw their shoe across the kitchen and say, I'm not putting this on. But then we want to get curious. Okay. So usually putting shoes on is fine today. It's not fine. Is there something I'm missing here? Like I'm wondering why this might feel so tough for my child in this situation, because I notice with my own children in those times when it's like, I'm not putting my shoes on no way. And like throwing the shoe across the kitchen. I'm like, okay, hold on. What's going on here? Have we had a really chaotic morning? Have I taken that chance to check in and connect with you? Is this your way of getting my connection? Are you sick? Are you feeling really overstimulated? So it helps me to just like tune back in. Then I get on her level and be like, huh, you just threw your shoe across the kitchen. That's interesting. And I just like be a little silly about it. Like, I wonder why you would throw your shoe all the way across the kitchen like that. That's kind of funny. And then kind of get on her level, join into her world and then see how I can help her get that shoe on. Because a lot of people listening to that would think you need to teach them that throwing shoes across the kitchen isn't okay. What would you say to someone thinking that? I would say absolutely that's an important expectation in your house. Something I talk about a lot is having your family rules already set ahead of time. So we don't hurt property. We don't hurt people, all of these things. So that's already set ahead of time. Your children are clear. They know what your family rules are. But in that moment, I would not go in with like a strong teaching, like, no, you can't throw your shoe. That's wrong. That's bad. Because usually by the time your child's throwing a shoe, they're not in a place where they're able to think logically. So they're not going to understand your logic, your reasoning. They are outside of their logical brain. So if you come in teaching, you are probably going to overstimulate them even more. They're going to become more overwhelmed, more overstimulated, probably throw the other shoe at you. And now you might be in a yelling match. So instead, I would come in speaking more of like the child's language. Like you just threw your shoe. Wow, that tells me something's going on here. Or that tells me that you might be feeling kind of upset or overwhelmed. Hmm, I wonder what's going on. And then once they get back to the place of calm, be like, So, you know, our family rules, like we can't throw shoes in this house. Like that's not safe. And so I can't let you throw shoes like that again. And if the throwing shoes became an issue, then I would have a bigger conversation with them about that totally outside of the moment when they're actually doing it. Yeah, it's almost like back to what you were saying with Scott and your window of tolerance. Like imagine if in that moment it had been like, well, it sounds like we need to talk to you about, you know, your ability to regulate outside of having a shower. Like you probably would have exploded back at him. I imagine that would have been a swear word situation. You would have just been like, ah, do one. Um, (laughs) It's almost the same, isn't it? It's like in that moment, they're outside their window of tolerance. I feel like it's so important to hear that that we do the teaching outside of the big moments because I I keep forgetting this and I keep going to do the whole why that's wrong when those heightened emotions are there and I need to remember actually that we do it outside that the goal in those moments is to be that sort of you know sturdy leader that safe place that I'm regulated so I can help them regulate quicker and then we can actually get out the door on time Absolutely. I mean, I feel like it takes a lot of pressure off parents too. I shared this example on my, I think it was on my feed the other day where I was saying like, imagine that you're really upset with your partner about something and they just look at you and they tell you, take a deep breath. We don't use words like that in our house. And I'm just like, said, imagine like how you'd feel if like you're in the moment and someone's trying to teach you to take a deep breath or like, you know, tells you, oh, use your calming tools or we don't talk like that. Like it's probably just going to make you more overwhelmed and overstimulated and want to yell more. So if we do that with our kids, that they're going to be like, oh, you're right, mom. Like, I totally forgot to take my deep breath. Like, let me just quickly take that for a sec. That's probably not going to happen either. So I think trying to keep that perspective like you were talking about in mind is really helpful. And then when they're calm, we can have a conversation about, hey, like, I know you're throwing the shoes every morning. It's like feeling really, really tricky to me because I know like as a family, we really value not hurting property or hurting people and throwing shoes doesn't really feel aligned. So, huh, I'm wondering like, what do you think we could do different so that we're not throwing shoes? Like, do you have any ideas? And doing that outside of the moment would be much more helpful. 
But what about age appropriateness? Like my seven-year-old should be there. Like should get that. My three-year-old, I don't know. Like at what age? Because obviously toddlers' brains are completely different. Like they don't have prefrontal cortex. They don't have that executive functioning, do they? So how would you approach it with a littler one? I guess who's more likely to throw stuff actually at three. Yeah, exactly. So I think that those bigger conversations for sure for our older kids, those are easier to have outside of the moment. I think with our younger kids, like we can have types of conversations like that, but we also want to try and be that boundary for them in the moment. So for example, if I knew that she throws shoes every single morning, I probably am not going to give her the shoes. I'm going to say, I'm going to put these shoes on for you. So I'm not even going to get into the scenario where she's throwing the shoes. I'm going to put the shoes on her feet for her and set that physical boundary for myself. Or for example, when my oldest was two, we lived in an apartment building. And one of the things was you get in the apartment building and the elevator's there and there's all the buttons. And her favorite thing to do would be to go stand there and just put her hands down, touch every single button in the elevator. But that's not something that's a good idea. It's not fair to the other people in the elevator. And now we're stuck on the elevator. So as a physical boundary for her, because she couldn't understand those long, lengthy conversations, I would just get in the elevator and immediately stand in front of all the buttons and set that physical boundary. So now I'm not even getting into a scenario with her where she can push all the buttons. So being mindful of your body and how you can set those physical boundaries so that we're not getting into those scenarios, I think with a toddler can be really powerful. Yeah, I think so too. The other day, my little girl cut her own hair, the three-year-old. I mean, it was actually fine. She gave herself quite a decent little fringe that we just had to get sorted out of the hairdresser and it looks good. So we, we were fine. But I was like, actually, there's no punishment there because she had access to scissors. Do you know what I mean? We had left the scissors out and she's just being sort of curious. I think you're right. I think what you're saying is like, how can you think ahead of time about physical boundaries? That's so sweet, by the way. I've been waiting for my kids. I also try and have the physical boundary with the scissors because children love scissors. But I've been waiting for that to happen if I ever leave it out by accident because they've told me they want to do that. So (laughs) I do get that. It was quite cute. It could have been much, much, much worse, to be honest with you. She just cut like a fringe on one side. So then we just had to even it up. And actually, I'll tell you what's funny is we never would have given her that little haircut, but it really suits her. It looks great. So I was like, it's all good. It's all good. Well, that's best case scenario. I feel like that's really sweet. Those scenarios happen where we leave things out or we forget and they have the shoes and they throw it. And I think we can just have so much grace on ourselves in those scenarios too. We can't always think ahead. And then in the moment, we can do our best to try and set the verbal boundary or different boundaries in the moment. But yeah, I love, love your, uh, your hair story. That's so sweet. I know it really was. It really was. I've just loved this conversation so much. I love connecting with you. You know, I love how you're able to mix such personal insights and stories with your, you know, incredibly deep professional knowledge. It's such a beautiful combination. So thank you so much. And as you know, I always ask the same question at the end, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would that one gift be and why? I was thinking about this because I love this question so much. And I just have one last little story that I'll wrap up that has to do with this question. But yesterday, my husband was in my daughter's class and he's an engineer and he decided to do a science experiment. So I don't know if everyone knows what elephant toothpaste is, but he made that for the kids. And so basically it's, I don't know, a mix of all these different chemicals together. And it kind of creates this like bubble explosion. And it's quite a large bubble explosion. Anyway, it's really fun and the kids love it. So he did it outside and there's this exploding rainbow going on. And everyone's looking at their rainbow, but I'm looking at my daughter, look at my husband. That's the gift that I want for parents to see. Is like, I'm looking at my six-year-old, look at her dad who's doing this experiment for her class. And her eyes are just like wide and big and looking at him with like amazement and love and wow, my dad can be any cooler. Like this is the best thing ever that he's here in my class. That's the gift I want parents to see is like sometimes in that day to day, like the hustle and the busyness, we lose sight of like how our kids see us, especially in these early years. Like we are their heroes. Like we are everything to them. And like these small things that we do, like my husband doing this thing at the class or 
the way that you hold your child's hand as you walk them to the bus or like just these little things that you do just like to get a glimpse of it from their perspective, like how meaningful and important it is, I think is such a gift for us as parents to like be able to see that these little tiny moments, these tiny things that you're doing, they matter so much. And like, you are really a hero. All parents are my hero, but also you're the hero to your little kids. And I think this was so beautiful. Oh, that's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And it's so true, isn't it? It's so true just to remember the memories that we're creating with them. Well, thank you so much. Last time you came on, people were looking for Our Mama Village and now they need to look for Nurture First. So tell us about that and the website and where they can find you and your work. Yeah, I would love for you to find us. We are mostly over on Instagram, just Nurtured First on Instagram. And I'm usually hanging out in my story, sharing kind of like our day-to-day life, like little insights, kind of like the ones I was sharing here of how we're not only a professional who works with parents and families as a therapist, but also as a mom of three who's in it and who's like using these tools every day. So I share a lot of that on my stories. And then on my feed, we have a lot of educational, really helpful posts as well. And then if you want more of a deeper dive information, I have a lot of courses, workshops, toolkits that help with a range of topics for parenting kids ages zero to 12. So I would love for you to check that out if you need some more support as well. I'll pop those links in the show notes as well. Oh, Jess, it's such a joy to see you again. Thank you so much for coming on. I've absolutely loved it. You too, Zoe. This is one of my favorite podcasts to be on. I love talking to you and I feel like we always just have such good conversations, such real conversations. So this was just so fun. Thank you so much for rescheduling with me a few times and finally being able to make it work. This is great. Of course, it was well worth the wait. I hope you loved that episode. And if you haven't listened, then please do go back and listen to my first ever episode with Jess. It is incredible. Just search Jess Motherkind wherever you are listening to this and it will pop up. And just a reminder, I will see you Monday for our Monday moment where we share a really short tool, idea or concept, normally in under 10 minutes, that is absolutely going to help you have a better week. I'll see you back here on Thursday for another in-depth interview with an expert. And I'll see you on Friday for our brand new episode where I chat to you, one of our Motherkind community. Thank you for being here. I'll see you next time.